Hello, Internet. Internet. I'm Finn Ross Russell. I'm John Lucas. It's Thursday, May the 12th. Welcome to Turin. It's semi final two day. Coming up, why is your favorite qualifying? Why is this semi even stronger than Tuesday's? And why are the big five in contention for victory? Salutations, one and all, and welcome to Turin. We are speeding super quickly through this week, but fortunately, I've still got the wonderful John Lucas next to me to chat through how it's going. Hello, Finn. We are recording in the absolutely coolest place I think I've ever recorded. We've been very lucky to be sort of allocated this radio cabin to be able to record this podcast in, and there's a lot of equipment in here. There's some Union Jack pennants <laughs> flying across one side because possibly we're in the BBC one. But yeah, I'm I'm feeling super like, ooh, yeah, we're not in Kansas been... anymore. <laughs> yeah, this would have been super helpful last week if I'd been able to access a room with this good this with this level of acoustics. But uh, we'll take what we can get for sure. It's not bad at all. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we have just uh, seen the run-through of semi-final two. Mm-hmm. The longest um, run-through I think I've ever sat <laughs> My life flashed before my eyes at certain points, but we did get through it, yeah? Yeah, and oh boy, do we have a lot to talk about. So let's get into it. So, just like we did with the first semi, we're going to go through each of the artists in the running order that they're competing in, and John and I are going to tell you why each of them are qualifying. Um, so I get to kick us off with Finland. Uh, Finland is qualifying because this is a rocking, big, classic Finnish entry that is packed with energy and as a staging that really plays to its strengths, that really says we are a rock number, we have this black-yellow aesthetic going for us that we like, and I think that's going to connect really well down the camera. What do you make of the fact that the 40-something lead singer from the Rasmus spends the first half of the performance dressed as the little kid from IT? <laughs> I didn't notice that. But to be honest, I think the only clothing thing I, I noticed with the lead singer of the Rasmus was, was the lack when he... thereof? <laughs> <laughs> well, was when he ripped his top off uh-huh. right towards the end, because I was kind of like, I thought that was Achille Laro's move. <laughs> How dare you nick his thunder? <laughs> We're getting a lot of classic rock poses this year, I think, for sure. Definitely. Do you think Maniskin might have had a, an influence over that? That the idea that, oh, that thing kind of thing can do well at Eurovision just makes the kind of rockier numbers this year feel like they want to embrace that side of it more? Um, in a more general sense, I don't think so much for Finland. I mean, obviously, that, this kind of heavy rock is very on brand for Finland. People have been crying out for the Rasmus to do the Eurovision for many years. And also, lest we forget, Dark Side last year was a big, big success for Finland. And I think that's probably what has opened the door for, um, for the Rasmus to finally say yes. So probably more local influences than Monoskin here, but probably didn't hurt. Certainly can't have hurt. Absolutely. Um, next up was Israel. Why Israel qualifying? Uh, because RuPaul's Drag Race is one of the most popular shows on television, <laughs> and uh, this, this, um, and this performance is absolutely leaning very heavily into camp and fun and tongue-in-cheek energy, all of the kind of things that fans of that show will find appealing for sure. And this is, you can always rely on Israel to deliver strong choreography and bags of energy. And Michael is, Michael Ben David, the singer, is absolutely a born performer in every sense of the word. 
One of the things I only really noticed today sitting in the arena when there was a lot of rehearsals that used the lighting rig is that the lighting rig isn't the the rainbow sun centerpiece thing that it's a separate thing that's lower down and i think israel used it so well the lights on this just lift the staging and make this performance feel so slick and fresh and exciting so i've gone from thinking eh, i'm not so sure about it thinking oh actually this is really in contention for a place in the final mm -hmm. israel tend to stage their performance as well and they've made considering there's not that much on stage they really make use of the space in a very effective way i agree they kind of they've created his own catwalk <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, when there isn't one, just make your own. Mm -hmm. uh, next up, Serbia. Serbia qualifying because this performance is so gorgeous and abstract and maybe a little bit like what exactly is going on here, but that really adds to the kind of the interest in it. It adds to the intrigue. They use subtitles at different parts of this performance, but they don't use it on every line which kind of adds the intrigue of, ooh, I wonder what the rest of it means. It, it makes you lean into the song and it makes you appreciate it as a sort of piece of high art as much as an actual uh, performance. It gave me actually very Madame Monsieur um, France 2018 vibes in that regard, not only with the kind of the clapping and how they kind of get the audience involved in that, but just the kind of the artiness of it that Constructor clearly sees herself as an artist as much as she does a singer or a performer. Mm -hmm. I don't know the answer to this question, but I wonder if there is a limit on how much subtitled translated lyrics is allowed. Because I'm assuming that what we see, the text that we see, is what would have been flashing up behind Constructor had there not been the issues with the stage that would that have obviously blocked the LED screen for them. That's, I'm, I'm not 100% certain that's true, but that is what I would imagine is happening because it's very unusual, I think, for the EBU to allow subtitled just, just straight subtitles. Normally it has to be showing on a screen somewhere and be like part of the animation. So it's in, and I'm sure that maybe they allowed Constructor to bend those rules slightly because her staging had been compromised potentially. I agree, I think it works really well and I like the fact that it's not every line because it really builds, it makes you focus on her, not rather than reading every line of dialogue underneath her, you're focusing on her and her facial expressions which are very intense. And that last 20 seconds or so is one of the most effective sections of performance I think we see all year when it's we get the subtitles of I don't know the, I can't remember the exact wording but it's like a healthy mind a healthy body now what it's kind of it ends on a real like mic drop moment it's really interestingly done and I think this is really coming together really nicely uh, why Azerbaijan qualifying Azerbaijan are qualifying because Albania qualified in 2018 um, on the strength of exceptional vocals and this the two songs aren't particularly similar uh, Mal from 2018 to this, but for some reason that immediately came into my head while I was watching this performance. Maybe because they have similar vocal tones, they're both kind of rock singers. Bit even gravelly. Very gravelly, yeah. His, Nadir's vocals are some of the most exceptional in this semi-final. I'm not 100% sold on the song, I don't think it's terribly strong, but it's a really exceptional vocal, especially considering he is at different points lying down, rolling around, he's standing up. They've kind of done a mirror trick, um, not dissimilar to what they did with Hold Me, which was- That was exactly what I was going to mention. Which was their runner-up in 2013, of course. Uh, but also, it's on a staircase, so there's kind of a mirror effect happening with a staircase. Um, it, yeah, the, the, the staging is pretty effective, actually. It's quite memorable, and yeah, vocals incredibly strong, which will be absolute catnip for the juries. So that should, in addition to the fact that Azerbaijan has generally, traditionally has a strong voter base, um, there's a lot working in Nadia's favour in this semi-final. 
Giorgio qualifying because it's colourful, it's weird, it's bonkers, it's very, very different from anything else this year. And if you like this kind of music, this is absolutely what you are voting for. Mm. Yeah, I mean, much like in 2016, um, they've, they've kind of tapped into this kind of Brit-poppy vibe that you don't often hear at Eurovision very much. Um, and it worked out for them then, of course, so we'll see if, it, if they can repeat the trick again. What I noticed is we watched this rehearsal in the arena and so we could see it more from a live perspective this performance was one of several that stood out to me as there's the animations that are happening because there is still the LED screen behind them it's just sections of it are blocked by the black rainbow of death but this is there's some really interesting visuals here with they have the guy who's kind of their mascot the the kind of guy in the neck ruffle who you'll have seen from the video of this song, but isn't actually a member of the band. But he's got like a, he's like a giant head, like Holly from Red Dwarf, just kind of <laughs> looming over them and lip syncing to the to the beginning of the song. And it's really interesting, and it really stands out. But I don't know if that's being caught on camera or not. I think there are a lot of elements that are being lost by the camera angles, not necessarily picking up the entire because you can't show the entire performance. You can't show the entire performance in widescreen. Obviously, that wouldn't work. But it's it's really interesting how I, it makes me wonder how much of that would have been visible in, in a tighter close-up had the staging been as it had initially been. Are you uh, saying that people will vote for Georgia because they like Red Dwarf? Possibly, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm tapping into kind of a Ewan-style theory here, but maybe, yeah, if, um, if a lot of Red Dwarf fans also enjoy Eurovision, they might pick up on that, potentially. <laughs> Listeners, if you're part of the Eurovision Red Dwarf qu- crossover, please email admin at eocintite.com and let us know. I'm curious to know how many of those are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, why are Malta qualifying? Malta are qualifying because this is another jury catnip. Very seasoned, very... Well, I say seasoned, she's very young, but she's a very experienced performer. She radiates confidence. Um, she's got very strong songwriters behind her. She has re- she has record label support as well, which can't be can't not which can't be overlooked. She's on a major label. She's had success in Italy, so she'll have name recognition factor here as well, and possibly in some of the surrounding regions. Um, yeah, this is somebody who clearly is already a pop star, and that really comes through. And I think in that sense, even though the song is a little weak, I'll be honest, it's not one of my favourites. Um, but I think that she is very much the selling point here, and could very much carry it through. I thought a lot about today with this performance how sweet and innocent she performs this it's so real it's so genuine there is there's almost a childlike innocence it, we were saying in the arena this wouldn't look out of place at junior mm-hmm. at all i think it's a song as a song it's better suited to junior your origin to be honest it would be interesting you know given the number of things that eurovision have done in recent times to kind of move a bit towards the melfest model mm-hmm. it would be interesting to see if they had a kind of age kind of breakdown like they do with Melfest mm. if she would have scored higher among a kind of under 18 crowd because in the same way that um, in the same way that there are various acts at Melfest that tend to do that I have a sneaky feeling this might have done the same as well yeah that, that is my issue with the song it, it kind of feels like a children's song it does have that very kind of it's a bit of a dated reference now, but that kind of high school musical glee kind of self-empowerment vibe, which is all very nice, but you're right, it, it feels more like it's a junior Eurovision song that has accidentally found its way to the main contest. And I kind of wish, given that Emma is herself so good and such a good performer and so good on camera, I wish she'd sent something that was more in the style that she's actually had chart success in Italy and around this part of Europe with. She has a song called Sangria, which I think would have gone down incredibly well this year because it's it, it's got that kind of, it's an up-tempo dance party song of which this year is 
kind of in thin supply of. So, yeah, I, I, I lots of respect for Emma, but I do wish that she'd been a bit more true to herself. Ironically, with the I am what I am thing, if she'd been a bit more true to herself musically, I think she would have been in an even stronger position than she is right now. Um, San Marino... I mean, what to say about right, why San Marino will qualify? San Marino going to qualify because Achille Laro is literally throwing every resource I think I saw the <laughs> that he has sink, available. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's just... I mean, first of all, what a performer, which mm. we already knew. But being in the arena and seeing the camera angles as well, you really appreciate quite how much has gone into this performance. It, it feels like a situation where... He sat down with his team and wrote down a list of ideas as to kind of what we should have in here. And then at the end of it said, let's do all of it. Mm -hmm. And I love it. It works so well together. This entry has some money behind it, absolutely. And this is the thing that's really interesting. Not everyone is working with the same budget. A lot of artists are having to make a little go a very long way. Clearly, Achille Laro, because he is a star here, again, he's on a major label, much like Emma Muscat from Malta. There's a budget behind this, and money appears to have been no object. I think this might be the most pyro we see in any performance this year. Maybe, It'll definitely come close. It's definitely yeah. in the top five. Maybe Spain, maybe Spain's pushing up there as well. But there is so much going on in this performance. But it, it doesn't. Sometimes too much can be too much and can be distracting. But because he's got so much stage presence and so much charisma, he centres it really, really well, and it feels like an interval performance by a bona fide rock star. Hundred percent. Why are Australia qualifying? Australia are qualifying because, again, similar to Azerbaijan, because exceptional vocals. Really exceptional vocals from Sheldon. Uh, very emotional as well. It's a self-penned song that is very much about experiences that he's dealt with in terms of his sense of identity. Um, I wonder, I've been asking this question all week, about whether this and Azerbaijan and Poland, who we'll get to shortly, can all qualify in a very similar genre, in a very similar semi-final. Um, but, I mean, based on the qualifiers from semi-final one, I think probably they can. We've seen that the juries are very much in favour, as always. They, they tend to go towards vocally showy songs and ballads. Um, this definitely has a huge amount of potential to be at the top or near the top of the jury rankings for the semi-final. I think what makes this stand out from the two you just mentioned is that of those three, this feels like the most musical theatre-y. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, I, I once worked with somebody who knew somebody on the British jury in 2019. And she said when she was watching back the show, as soon as I saw North Macedonia, I knew that's exactly what my friend was going to vote for. Mm -hmm. Because my friend works in musical theatre and really likes musical theatre, and that's his kind of style. I see. And this feels like exactly the same thing. And, and partially that's the mask, you know, there's a bit of a Phantom of the Opera vibe <laughs> there. They have the thing with the staircase and the, the colours and the lighting that I think contributes that vibe as well. But I do think, because there are people out there that do look at Eurovision as a sort of musical theatre-y vehicle, the UK has had success mm -hmm. doing that with Andrew Lloyd Webber and with Lucy Jones. This will qualify because people will recognise that and people will see that and people will appreciate that. Absolutely. 100%. Mm -hmm. um, Cyprus. Cyprus are qualifying because... The staging just brings this song to life. She engages so well with the camera. The angles work really nicely with the water as well because it's got the seashell and the water thing. And yeah, this has gone from a song that perhaps maybe wasn't quite as memorable as we'd hoped to actually saying, yep, yeah, that's a seashell one. That's what I'm going to vote for. 
Yeah, and I mentioned this on a podcast earlier this week or last week. This is really in its own lane. There's not a lot of that kind of Mediterranean, that classic Greek Cypriot sound, um, and that is a, always a big fan favourite. You know, and Cyprus have really found that rich seam and kind of made it their lane. And I think they've really developed a sense of identity. You know now what a Cypriot performance is going to be. It's going to be something like this. And I think there'll be a lot of, especially like seasoned Eurovision fans who will be tuning into the semi-final. And this is exactly what they're going to want to hear. Do you think there's a a potential pitfall of kind of pigeonholing yourself as a broadcaster into this is what we send, this is our identity? Not only in terms of like the, oh, well, they're sending this kind of thing again, but also in terms of the, could it possibly mean that types of music from that country that would work really well might get overlooked, do you think? Um, I don't think, I don't tend to be, think people are too judgmental of, oh, it sounds like what they sent last year, because I think most people come to it each year with fairly fresh eyes. We, you, there's a difference between the, you know, people like us who follow this forensically and people who tune in once a year. And I think there's something, very much something to be said for having a brand. You know, Finland's brand is heavy metal and it's generally served them very well. Cyprus's brand is this kind of sunny Mediterranean pop and it has served them incredibly well. Doesn't mean they have to do it every year. There's no reason you can't experiment, but I don't think it's a negative to have branded yourself really well. And mm. I think that's what Cyprus have, have really managed to do. And f- especially when you're a smaller country that doesn't have access to a giant music scene, play to your strengths, you know, play to your strengths. I think I agree with you. You look at Greece in the 2000s, and I think that's the best example of you go from uh, Shake It, Sakis Rivers in 2004, and when you look back, you can see how that directly led into Helena Paparizou winning the following year. You can see how it led to Secret Combination and the success that that had. You, you can see that trajectory. And that trajectory and that kind of brand recognition, as you say, it makes people kind of clock who you are and what you do much easier. Yeah, and it's interesting that Greece have kind of moved away from that in recent years and kind of gone down this slightly more introspective you know obviously this year we have Amanda Tenfield who's actually going to do very well I think so it's not to the detriment but in the past few years they've not really I don't think they've been in the top 10 since 2013 which is kind of around the time they stopped doing that you know that, that as you say that they had that same brand as Cyprus of you know they brought the bangers they brought Elena Paparizzi they brought Sakas Ruvas they brought Opa, one of my favourite party songs from Eurovision Ooh, ever, yeah, 2010. And Aphrodisiac then they, in 2012. Aphrodisiac, yeah, but then they kind of switched it and they had songs like... Um, they, they had songs like... Alcohol is Free. Alcohol is Free, which... Did, well, that was the last one, I think, that felt very Greek. And then after that, they had... Uh, was it Freaky Friday, the band? Yeah, Rise Up. Rise Up, they had songs like Rise Up. They had... Um, my Last Breath. My Last Breath. Yeah, they, they just went a bit ballady and a bit introspective. And it, I don't know if it served them... It's going to serve them well this year. But it's interesting that they've just kind of handed over the baton of... The you know again the Mediterranean banger country they're just kind of handed that to their little sisters in Cyprus <laughs> it's really interesting maybe they know something we don't mm-hmm. um, why are Ireland qualifying Ireland are qualifying because Brooke is an absolute dairy girl and she's got fabulous stage presence she's someone who's come through reality television she was on The Voice UK she knows how to work her angles work her camera marks sell it right down the lens she's doing that exceptionally well this is everything I wanted it to be when I first saw this in the national final on the Late Late Show it was rough around the edges everyone agrees it was rough around the edges it's not a great setting for a big pop performance in that little studio in Ireland but 
I knew exactly what I wanted this to be. I had an image in my head of it being colourful and bright, and my kind of reference point was Jedward the first time when they did lipstick, which, again, song-wise wasn't necessarily the strongest, but was such a great visual performance. And they've done everything I wanted them to do. They've made it colourful, they've made it energetic, and they've put the focus very much on Brooke and her bags and bags of charisma, which she has in spades. And I'm really, really pleased to see Ireland feeling competitive, truly competitive, for the first time in quite some time. Absolutely, and we watched um, we watched the show just now with two Irish Eurovision fans. Oh, I'd be so happy if they do qualify for that reason too. The Irish eyes won't just be smiling, they'll be weeping. They'll be weeping <laughs> with joy. But I think what's really interesting, and I was saying this to them at the time, is that of all the artists this year, she feels like the one that's grown the most mm-hmm. into being part of this competition. Like, it felt like she started them with what happened on the Late Late Show. It was a bit more like, ooh, is this going to be right? Is she going to get forgotten in the wider context of the show? And she's embraced this process and embraced this journey and embraced this adventure so much. And I'm getting to the point now where I already loved her because of the song, but now I love her as a person and I love watching her, and I want her to succeed because she seems like a thoroughly likeable human being. Ironically similar to the British act this year, I think. Yeah, they're very similar, absolutely. Both both very charismatic performances, which uh, hasn't always been the case. Um, North Macedonia are going through because this is a very raw and vulnerable ballad. We saw how popular those were um, on the Tuesday semi. I have a feeling they will continue to be popular, especially with the juries. And again, back on the musical theatre thing, you get the sense that Andrea is acting this and performing this as much as she is singing it and delivering the vocal. And because she's doing both, she could have a chance of going through for sure. Uh, North Macedonia have been at the centre of a little bit of uh, controversy in the past few days because there was an issue where on the opening ceremony, Andrea... I believe entirely innocently, just as a off- offhand gesture, she had she was waving an, 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 her national flag, the Macedonian flag, but she needed to free up her hands, so she kind of tossed it to a colleague off camera, and it fell on the floor, and that erupted some very big sensitivities in North Macedonia. She's had some quite vicious backlash from the local press, and there's even been talk potentially of North Macedonia withdrawing this year or next. So there's been a lot of drama and noise around this. But what I found really interesting today in the wake of all that, because I've seen earlier rehearsals of this where I thought she sang it very well, but it didn't particularly strike me. Today, it feels like she's channeling whatever noise is going on and, you know, which could potentially knock her off course and channeling it into something very raw and emotional and defiant. And today, for the first time, it felt genuinely powerful. And it was the first time I thought, maybe this is actually not to be completely discounted. Because I had this very much in the bottom of my rankings of songs likely to progress from this semi-final. Now I think it's it's not at the top, but it has a chance. It's not completely to be dismissed anymore, which is quite a bit of a turnaround. 100%. Why are Estonia going through? Estonia are going through because this is the most comforting and familiar song in the semi-final. This sounds like Avicii, it sounds like, you know, it sounds like this is a song that sounds like something you've heard before, which sounds like a backhanded compliment and it's not the most original song ever submitted to Eurovision but this song doesn't make you feel in any way confused you hear that and you you know instantly within within two beats I know exactly what this is and if you like it you're gonna like it and it's it's very catchy it's up tempo he's there's a lot of movement he's running up and down the stage he jumps over the waterfall at one point so yeah familiarity and just comfort 
is can can take you very far in this competition. And if you're looking for that kind of classic country pop kind of hero style song, then you're going to find a lot to enjoy with this with this one. I think in general, Estonian entries have struggled in the past with that transition from the Este Lal stage, which is like just size-wise quite small to the big Eurovision stage and I was worried for a very very long time as to how Stefan and his team were going to manage that transition and I think again speculating here not absolutely sure I think had he had access to the full LED screen maybe we wouldn't have seen the performance that we've got we might have seen something different but the fact is he has noted that this is a situation, he's taken it on the chin, and he's done stuff with the camera angles, him and the Estonian team, that feel like, as an audience member, you're going on a journey around the stage with him, and it does. It it, it weirdly almost feels like you're kind of travelling through the wild, wild west of this massive, great big stage with him, which kind of culminates in that big waterfall jump, and I just think that's a classic case of, okay, things can go wrong at Eurovision, and maybe the tech doesn't work the way that you expect it to, but that doesn't you know, that doesn't mean you just throw the towel in. That means you get back up again, you try something different, and, I mean, maybe that this was their plan all along, and maybe I'm just, <laughs> no, I'm just talking right. rubbish, I think, but, I think this, you know. I think this is one of the best examples of course correction done well. That They've really, like, risen to the challenge of having to kind of rethink their stage show, and, it, and the, the, the extra movement actually works really well for them, because it gives the song energy where it could feel a little bit plodding. Absolutely. Um, Romania are going to qualify because this is buckets and buckets of Latin flair, of energy, a lot of reds. I mean, in a way, Spain obviously feels very Spanish this year, but this feels like it is as Spanish <laughs> as that is. And obviously there are Latin influences in Romanian culture that explain that, but it's nice to see Romania bring something that feels genuinely energetic and genuinely punchy. Yeah, I've really felt like Romania have kind of lost their mojo in recent years. Much like Greece, as I was saying before how they went a bit introspective, Romania went from being the country that you could rely on for kind of wacky, over-the-top stage shows and performances. You know, I'm thinking of Yodlit, which was their last major success in 2017. Also songs like Playing With Fire and Ovi and Paula Selling's other track from 2014. Miracle. Miracle, exactly. They. You know, Romania are a country that traditionally bring the fun, and then in recent years they've gone down, uh, like I said, a more moody route, and it's not worked for them. They've failed to qualify, I think, three times in a row now, or four, three or four? Something like that. I think it's three. Uh, 18, 19, and 21. Obviously, there was no contest in 20. Um, so, yeah, it's nice to see Romania going back to what works for them. Again, talk about playing to your strengths and branding yourself. This could have been in the contest in 2003, and looked and sounded exactly the same, which might be a negative in some people's books, but for me... It's a big positive. This, this is the kind of classic Eurovision that I really respond to. So I'm really hopeful for this one. Why are Poland qualifying? Poland are qualifying because it's very emotive. It's very visually distinctive. I'm not 100% sold on the stage show, but I can't deny that it is very dramatic. And he is another one who's, again, he's in this weird little internal dogfight with Azerbaijan and Australia with these just really exceptional male vocals on these ballads. And he's very much in that mix. Um, and yeah, I think it's, whether you love the staging or hate it, I think it will divide opinion quite sharply, but it won't be forgotten. It's a very memorable presentation. 
It's so professional, it's so controlled, it's so measured. This is sailing through, 100%. Um, Montenegro is qualifying because the effect with the dress that she's talked about quite a lot is cool. It's very interesting. You'll enjoy it, listeners at home, when you, when you see it in full action. Um, and her vocals are very confident. Yeah, I, th- I think this one is on the struggle bus a little bit, Montenegro, unfortunately. Um, I do think her vocals are really are really holding up well. I think it's a vocally demanding song and there were some concerns about her ability to handle those top notes, but she seems to be really bringing it where it counts. Again, I mentioned a little bit earlier about how in some performances, I think I was talking about Georgia, the full effect of the stage show is lost on camera. And in this one, I was, again, watching in the arena, there's some really interesting visual storytelling happening on the screen behind her. But I don't think we see any of it on camera because the majority of the performance is shot in this kind of tight close-up. And it does make the performance feel quite static, unfortunately. Um, so I would be pleasantly surprised if this goes through, but I do think it's probably one of the outsiders, unfortunately. Why are Belgium qualifying? Belgium are qualifying because it's contemporary, it feels fresh, it's very confidently performed. This is another one who's got TV experience, um, it's got a lot of movement and choreography, his vocals are very impressive indeed. Um, this feels maybe not sort of something of the charts in 2021, but certainly of the charts this century, which is, a, you know, in <laughs> itself is a victory sometimes. I, I, think that there's, I think this has a good shot of getting some jury love for sure. I think the juries are probably more likely to respond to this than the televoters, but I think there's enough professionalism in this package that the juries could potentially place it quite highly. Uh, Sweden are qualifying because this is such an easy classic brand of Swedish slick, but it's mixed nicely with Cornelia's ability to connect down the camera. And again, it's that kind of Melfest school of doing Eurovision. You know, you do Melfest, you understand what you need to do. You're just seamlessly ready to go when you come to the big stage. Mm -hmm. It's a double-edged sword, I think, I'm noticing this year more than ever, is that the quality of Melfest and the professionalism and slickness of Melfest is that you do, they arrive so fully formed. But this one in particular, because it's so reliant on camera angles, every shot, the framing of it is integral to the visual storytelling and it being effective because so much of it again is in close-up there's a lot of mo- steady cam moving around Cornelia and her ability to sell it really depends on everything looking exactly as they have envisioned and it, it, it's they've had some problems they've, they've really struggled to replicate exactly what they managed to achieve at Melfest here obviously they're working with different crews and they're having to kind of learn from scratch again she's great there's nothing i have no doubts about her ability to deliver it and keep herself in the right headspace but i do wonder if they'll ever be able to get it to quite the level it was at melfast or if it's always going to be one of those ones which happens quite frequently to sweden where the melfast performance is definitive and the eurovision one just doesn't quite ever live up to it and finally why are the czechs going through the czech republic are going through because they have nailed the staging for this which i wasn't necessarily anticipating Again, someone spent some money on this one. It's got a fabulous light show. It really brings the feel of a nightclub. It feels like this song is going off, which is this song was made to go off in a nightclub, and it does. We've got really strong strobe light effects. If you suffer from epilepsy, you might not want to watch this one. I'm not sure if it's technically um, potentially. There's a lot of flashing images. Yeah, there's a lot of flashing images, so I don't know if that's potentially triggering or not for people who suffer from epilepsy, but just fair warning, this is a flashy, flashy performance in every sense of the word. She, the lead singer, is doing very, is handling the vocals a lot more strongly and consistently than she did at some of the pre-parties. It seems like she's potentially brought it into a, a register that's more comfortable in her range. And yeah, th- this is such a strong closer. It really 
ends things with a real bang and a burst of energy. And as the last thing you hear before you start voting, I would not be surprised at all if many people were like, that's the one to vote for. You've said to me off air that you think this semi is stronger than Tuesday's. Yes. Why? Because the way the semis are allocated, um, for those who don't know, is that way back in I think January or February there was the a ceremony where all the countries even before they'd all selected their songs a lot of them are still in the process of deciding uh, were, were put into pots and randomly drawn into either semi-final one or semi-final two now that's very fair of course because there's no producer-led influence there it is literally just the look of the draw this year unfortunately I think what has happened is that semi-final one got really front-loaded with ballads and mid-tempers which we've talked about a lot this week I'm not going to repeat myself too much but Semi-final two, much more diverse musically. There's much more breadth of kind of... There's much more something for everybody. Exactly. There's much more something for everybody. And there's much more range from your big, hard-hitting club bangers like the Czech Republic down to the more slow in, and intimate songs like, like Sweden. And ev- you've really got everything in between. You've got party anthems. You've got hard rock. You've got Brit pop. You've got high school musical. You've got whatever Achille Lauro is doing. You know, you've got you've got it all. You've got country pop. It's a really diverse semi-final. And I think this one, we're going to lose some big favourites and it's going to be quite heartbreaking. But that is the game. So, as well as all of the semi-finalists, we've now also seen all of the finalists mm-hmm. on stage rehearsing, doing their thing. Um, and surprisingly, they've done really, really well as a group. Why do you th- what do you think has brought this kind of, not only renewed energy for the Big Five to do well, but also that they've actually managed to put that into getting it right here on the ground? Well, a Big Five country won for the first time since 2010, which probably didn't hurt. Um, in, in Italy, obviously, Monskin. I don't know. I think so, some of the countries... I think France has been on an upward trajectory for several years now. Italy came in strong when they came back in 2011 and have only continued to be consistently strong because, of course, it's tied to San Remo. So they're sending already big stars and established hits, which has served them incredibly well. Um, Germany and the UK and Spain have been a lot more spotty in recent years. They've had more, more occasions at the bottom of the leaderboard than the top. But... Yeah, this year, particularly Spain and the UK, have really stepped up. I think Chanel has staged slow-mo exceptionally. There's been a really impressive revamp of this song. Um, I'd compare it to when Sertab Erina um, revamped Every Way That I Can at the 11th hour, and suddenly a song that was considered something of a middle-of-the-road outsider suddenly leapt into contention, and that's exactly what Chanel has done. It's not, like, dramatically transformed the song, you know, in terms of the basic structure, but it's just elevated every aspect exactly in the right way it's incredibly strategic and well delivered so spain have really nailed that and they've probably got the strongest up tempo package of the entire year and the uk have just hit gold i think the, the, what's changed for the uk sam Ryder's changed for the uk they have struck gold with him as a representative he's an exceptional singer he's unbelievably charismatic so charming I've talked in previous episodes about how incredibly nuanced his take on Eurovision is he's been incredibly positive he's very eloquent about the contest and he really has so much self-belief and but also so much humility and everything he's just playing a perfect game and he's definitely walking away from this as one of the the breakout stars 
So that's it then. That is our semi-final two preview. Um, listeners, we hope you enjoyed the show tonight. And podcast radio listeners, um, please go and watch the show and enjoy it. And if you have any thoughts on it, we're keen to hear them. So please send any questions or comments to admin at escinsight.com and we'll do our best to answer them on the podcast. Right. Ugh. I'm hungry. I need to get you some hungry? food. You hungry? I'm not hungry. I'm hangry. I need to get some food. <laughs> Great. Well, then I'm just going to call for the guitars. You've been listening to the ESC Insight Daily News Podcast, hosted by Finn Ross Russell and John Lucas. Find out more by heading to escinsight.com and support the work we do at patreon.com slash escinsight.